Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for gathering us together here in this place to worship you, to be with you, to receive of your grace and goodness. Thank you, Father, for your word that you have spoken. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it. We pray that you'd open our ears to hear your voice, but that you would close our ears to the voice of the enemy in any kind of deception. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on this place and on us. Lord, I ask that you give me words to speak, but that my own words and thoughts might be forgotten. In Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to uh, to uh, cover my uh, lack of good hospitality as we began our worship and just to say welcome to those who are visiting here with us today. And as we continue with uh, um, our observation of Advent, we anticipate the coming of Christmas, but also the coming of our Lord. So it's this continued sense in looking forward with expectation and anticipation. As I was uh, looking at the readings this morning, I had one of those memory kind of moments. And it could have been stirred out of a conversation that happened a week or so ago as we were just talking and um, driving around the area, just kind of brought back the memory. It was one summer, and I don't remember if it was at the end of high school or one of my years between, uh, uh, one of the summers between um, university semesters, but I was at home at, at mom and dad's, I was still living at home, and the doorbell rang, and, and the, somebody had come to the door. It was actually for me. And it was a bit of a surprise because a fellow standing there was a friend of the family's. We've known him for years, but he's not somebody that, that uh, I spent a lot of time with and wouldn't normally come to the door for me. And so I knew something was up. And what he had come to the door for was to offer me um, work, which was okay. I needed money as <laughs> You do. Um, I had a, a, a semester coming ahead. Um, the thing was, is, is there was no guarantee of wage. Some of you may be familiar with uh, chuck wagon racing. Anybody watch chuck wagon racing? No. I just find that stunning. So, it's a rodeo event. And it's, it's big in some, in some areas. So what it is, is you know what a chuck wagon is, right? They used to use those as, as a means of transportation. But what they've done is they've shrunk them down. So they're, they're maybe you know, this tall now, and they're, they're shortish. But what happens is you line up four of, of these units, and they all have a team of uh, four horses. Yeah, four horses. But uh, you have a driver who sits in the chuck wagon, and he has the reins, of course, for the four horses. But out behind are what are called the outriders. And what happens is when the horn goes, their job is to load the chuck wagon, because sitting behind it are uh, symbols of what you used to carry. So there's a barrel that goes in and a stove that goes in, and, you, and their job, the horn goes, they chuck them in, they've got to close the door at the back of the put the gate up in the back of the wagon, they jump on their horses, as soon as that gate is closed, the driver goes and off the horses go, and the four race around the arena, and the outriders also have to get around, and the winner is in the, in the first driver to cross the line, and the outriders 
have to cross the line. It can be really exciting. It's also really controversial because when you get, uh, what's, what's 16 plus 8, 20-some horses racing as fast as it can around the arena attached to chuck wagons that, you know, as you're going as fast as you can around corners, you have angular momentum and the chuck wagon wants to skid around and sometimes accidents happen. So he was a chuck wagon driver. Now where I lived at the time, um, there were a series of teams that were the world champions in, in chuck wagons. So I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, there's a, a big uh, rodeo that happens in Vegas, there's a big rodeo that happens in Calgary. That's, that's where these kind of things go on. So what he said was, I'm going, he was going out for the season, and he asked me to go along with him. He said, I can't promise you uh, anything. He said, some nights we sleep in a hotel, because we did well, and some nights we sleep outside. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> some days we eat great, some days we have bologna. <laughs> oh, and I can't guarantee you any pay. But we'll have lots of fun. So I thought, okay, so I get to muck horses, you know, that is, yeah. Feed them, water them. I might end the season with absolutely zero dollars in the bank, and I may or may not die from exposure. So in the end, I decided that I would take plan B. So I didn't go with him. And ever since, I've wondered what it would have been like. I like horses. I've uh, been around rodeo in the past. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And I would have enjoyed the camaraderie, and he's a great guy. And incidentally, he has since been world champion uh, more than once, and and won the big money and the big the, the big purse. And he went from kind of traveling around in his pickup and whatever he could do to get by to having many dozens of horses that he could choose from and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he's very successful. That was great. But you kind of wonder, did I miss out? On a, on a great opportunity. I, I have to say, I don't regret uh, not having taken that up. It, 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 was, it was fun, I've, I've been to his house since, and, and, and I'm happy for him, but I think I did okay. So there's these opportunities that come to us, and some of them you take, and they're good, some of them you pass on, it was good that you pass on them, but sometimes you can have an opportunity that's put in front of you, and if you pass on it, it was a bad idea. I'm not sure if you've had those experiences, too. Um, some people just have the knack for getting the right thing, and some of us have the knack for going, oh, I should have. <laughs> so there's this guy called, um, well, you may, have, you may have heard of him before. Um, we ran across him more than once. His name was Ahaz. Everybody knows Ahaz, right? <laughs> He's one of the kings uh, of Israel. And, and we read about him today uh, because Isaiah was sent to him with a message. And Isaiah had an opportunity that was put in front of him, and he decided not to take it. But we need to rewind a little bit. This is a very familiar passage, isn't it? I'm, I'm guessing if you've, if you've hung around the church at all, you've been through Advent at all before, you've heard this one uh, more than once. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman, the virgin, is with child and shall bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. Very familiar. But what we need to understand is what was going on here in the background. Because if you rewind a little bit to the beginning of the chapter, what you discover is King Ahaz shaking in his boots. 
When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. If you have ever been so frightened that you begin to shake, you get a sense of what was going on. The city is in trouble. Ahaz is in trouble. He is afraid, and justifiably so. The threat is there that his city is going to be destroyed, his nation will be destroyed. The um, fate of kings who lose wasn't real good. Most of the time they lost things like their lives and their families. So this was a very troubling moment. And so God sent him a message and said, look, Ahaz, don't be afraid. These enemies who are gathered against you are going to disappear. They're like smoldering branches that are going to go out. Don't be afraid. But Ahaz didn't listen. He was still afraid. And so Isaiah comes to him again and says, Ahaz, God will give you a sign. Anything you want. I have not had this experience. If any of you have had this experience, I would love for you to tell me. Where a prophet comes and says, you know what, God has a message. Ask anything you want. As a sign. There have been many times I asked the Lord for a sign. One of them was in deciding whether or not the call to come to um, East Texas was from God. And I said to somebody, you know it would be great if I was driving along and there's this great big billboard beside the side of the road that had my name on it. Fraser, this is God. Do this. <laughs> that would be easy. I have not had that experience. Ahaz could have asked for that. There were no limits that were placed. And what does Ahaz say to God? To Isaiah. I won't do that. I will not put the Lord my God to the test. It's like, Ahaz, you idiot. <laughs> this was not your idea. This is not a case of Ahaz being presumptuous. And coming before God and saying, God, you owe me one, I demand. It was God saying to Ahaz, Ahaz, I know you are afraid. I understand the fear. But look, I, I want you to understand in the very core of your being, everything is going to be okay. I've got your back. Ask any sign you want, anything at all, so that you'll know. And Ahaz said, no thanks. Thanks, God, but no. And so Isaiah says, Are you that thick that you would not only weary me, but you would weary God? I pray I'm never accused of wearying my God. Oh, Lord, preserve me from that. So Isaiah said, God's going to give you a sign anyways. And then comes that prophecy. And this is one of those two-sided prophecies. The first side of it is for Ahaz in that very moment. Ahaz understands something. These enemies of yours are not going to endure. They're not going to be here very long. In fact, there is a woman who is pregnant. A young woman is expecting. And by the time her child is able to decide between what's right and wrong, he'll be eating curds and honey. In other words, you'll be blessed. There'll be overflow of goodness. 
God is going to act. They're going to fade away. And within a couple of years, this is all going to be gone. And yet there's another side to that prophecy, as, as we all know. So here on the one hand, we have this example of a man who's given an offer beyond measure. If you've ever been in the place of trying to make a decision and say, God, what is your will for me? Why would you not take that up? Then we have a couple of others who are also given an offer. It's, I was going to say, an offer they can't refuse. Just to quote a movie you may have seen. But that's not the case. They could have refused. They were also given that option. Imagine you're Joseph. You're engaged to this beautiful young woman. Engaged isn't a good enough word. Betrothed. Betrothal in that culture was more than engaged, as we're used to engaged. When I was a young man, maybe I'm exaggerating, calling myself a man at that point, but in any case, I was of age. And I took Veronica out for supper and I handed her a ring. It was not romantic or good, but she said yes anyways. <laughs> And from that moment, she wore that ring on her finger, and it was a sign that we were going to be married. But we weren't. And um, I was going to school in a, in a city that was about um, 600 miles away from where she was. And so, and in those days, um, cell phones, um, people didn't have cell phones. Uh, people didn't have um, uh, phone packages. Now, now we're going back. Um, we used to call each other after midnight because that's when the fees were the lowest. <laughs> I was living alone, so it was no big deal for her to call me. I had to be careful calling her. She needed to be expecting. And then I, I started hearing how there was this uh, fellow that we knew. He would play piano at the church. He was taking her out for coffee and different things. And I was going, wait a second. <laughs> Do I need to be concerned here? Because although we were engaged, we weren't yet married. And theoretically, she could have said, Nah, I think I got a better thing here. That guy off in Saskatoon. <laughs> but she didn't. She's such a wonderful woman. I mean, yeah, when she gets here, you just have to tell her what, how amazing that she would make a sacrifice like that. <laughs> but for Mary and Joseph, it's a little bit different. Once you're betrothed, it is as though you are married, but not yet in the same house. So you get that sense. It's more than just engaged. It's more than promised. It's more than saying, it is my intention that we will be married down the road. It is, we are now given to one another. So Joseph has this beautiful young woman that's going to be his wife. And then Matthew doesn't tell us, Luke doesn't tell us how the news came out. But Joseph discovers she's pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. So what is he going to think? There's been no report of a crime. Therefore, what? She had to have cheated on him with someone. But Joseph is a man, we see from just those few words that Matthew gives us, he's a man of compassion, of love, of mercy. And so he decides he doesn't want to expose her to public shame. 
But notice, this tells you how deep the betrothal is. He decides he's going to divorce her quietly. So they haven't even lived in the same house. And yet, the depth of that commitment is that it's essentially a divorce to break off this betrothal. He doesn't want to do it in public. He doesn't want to shame her. He wants, he doesn't want to hurt her more than must be. But in integrity, he, he can't be with her. At which point God intervenes. And he has a dream and an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, this is the deal. Yeah, Mary's pregnant, but it's because God has miraculously intervened because this is a part of the plan he has had since Genesis chapter 3. This is the moment where the fall where all the sin that has invaded the earth is going to be overturned. The Holy Spirit has come on Mary. She's going to bear a son. You are going to name him Yeshua. And I'm asking you to be his father. Don't be afraid to take her into your home. In that moment, Joseph awakes and he has a decision to make. He can be like Ahaz. And he can say, thank you, but no. Or he can accept the invitation that's given to him. We don't hear much about Joseph after this. Almost nothing. But what a profound opportunity that is given to him. I got thinking a little bit about this. So I reflect back on my own life. And what I think it is to be a husband, to be a father, to be a man, is because of my dad. The way I treat my wife is based on how my dad treats my mother. In my case, I have over 50 years of a track record of love and mercy and grace. My dad is a very gentle, loving man. All my faults I claim as my own. All the good things I lay at his feet. He's not perfect. He's not here today, so I can bring him up a little bit. <laughs> but he is a remarkable man. And through the years I got to see, yes, he had bad days. Yes, he made mistakes. No, he's not perfect. He's human. But over time, I got to see what love looks like, what commitment looks like. What mercy looks like, what generosity looks like, what integrity looks like. And so that's been a measure that's there in the background. God was saying to Joseph, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, Yeshua, I am entrusting to you, Joseph, so that in you he will see what mercy and goodness looks like. Because Jesus was born as a baby. He was a toddler. He was a teenager. Joseph taught him how to make furniture. Joseph showed him what it was to be merciful and gentle. How to speak to your wife in a way that honors her and builds her up. And Joseph said yes. He took that on. And he had an opportunity that I don't think any of us can even imagine. Mary, same thing. 
The angel appeared to her, this young woman, her whole life in front of her. And I imagine she's no different than young women now. When she found out she's betrothed, because probably she was simply informed, she was betrothed to Joseph. And she begins to think, what will my life be like? But I'm going to have my own home. We're going to have a wedding. We're going to have a party. I'm going to have children. All those kinds of things. I don't know if she was like um, some of those young women and sit there and write, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> I don't know if anybody here did that, but I have known other young women who did that. And then the angel appears to her and says, Mary, I know you had a plan for your life, but God wants to use you. You are going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have this child. And he's going to be the Savior of the world. And it's going to be tough. And she said, let it be to me according to your word. She said, yes. Apostle Paul. Is my life, the why of my life is Jesus. She tucked that word away. You're going to hear it a lot in the future. Why? Paul said, the reason why I live is Jesus. The reason why I'm apostle is Jesus. The reason why I draw breath is Jesus. Because he got a hold of me, he changed my whole life around. But he didn't just change my whole life around. He changed everything around. He's the one that was promised in the Old Testament. He was descended from David. He's the rightful king of Israel. But he's not just the rightful king of Israel. It was revealed in his resurrection that he is God himself who was raised from the dead, who came among us. He is our salvation. He is the reason for everything. Everything changed in Jesus and that's why I live. That's why I'm here. And as he writes to the Romans, he says, God has given me a commission to tell the Gentiles that they can follow Jesus too, and that they should order their lives according to this. And Paul says, I have said yes to this offer from God, and I have given the entire rest of my life so that you would say yes to God. Ahaz said no. Joseph said yes. Paul said yes. Mary said yes. Isaiah said yes. Many through history have not. I don't know if God will ever appear to any one of you and say, you can ask me any sign you want, no limits. If he does, I suggest you take him up on it. Probably he won't. But God is saying some things to you that he has an offer for you. The base offer that is the same for all of us is very straightforward. The gospel. We were lost in our sin and our brokenness. But God was not content to leave us doomed. But He came, He was born, He became incarnate. He lived our life. He wasn't enfleshed. He knows what it is to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tempted. And yet lived a perfect life. And despite that, He was hung on the cross and died. Not because he deserved it, but because I deserved it. And he took my sin to the cross, and it was nailed there, and he died. And my sin died with him. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and he is alive, and he is coming back. And because he is alive, and because he is coming back, I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And that offer is for every single person who's here, too. That's the base offer. Will you say yes to a life with Jesus?
I'm assuming since you're here this morning, you either have or you're giving it serious consideration. Or someone fooled you and promised you IHOP after. <laughs> Take them up on IHOP and have a conversation. But at some point, you got to say yes. You choose to be his. But then God says other things to us. He says, I have a plan for your life. I have a calling for you. I have gifts. I intend to use you. He says, I intend to use you together, us together. God has plans for us. And he wants us to say yes. So we need to be in discernment and listening. And as he shows us and gives us those glimpses, to take him up where he says yes. But as individuals, some of you already know what God's call is for you. Say yes again. Some of you maybe have been putting him off a little bit. You know, he's been asking you, showing you something in your life. You can say yes today. And if you're not sure, you have that wondering. Just ask for his direction. So today, the fourth Sunday of Advent, just before the celebration of the coming of our Lord, as we're looking forward to Jesus' return, we have this opportunity to say to him, Lord, in what time I have left, and in what time before you return, yes to whatever it is you want to do. Let us pray. Father, we again thank you for your incredible mercy for us. That you would give your only son to die and to rise again for our salvation. Thank you for that love that we cannot even begin to understand. Thank you for the grace to have said yes to you. And Lord, we say yes to you again. We say thank you again for the cross. Thank you again for the empty tomb. Thank you again for the invitation to live our lives with you and for you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to reveal to us the call that you have. That you called, that you have for us as St. Dunstan's together. Lord, make it clear to us so that we would walk in your way. And Lord, whatever that is, we say yes. And Lord, as individuals, we ask you to continually reveal yourself to us. To show us your ways. That we could walk with you. Lord, be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>